I want to begin this morning by telling you good news. Here is a piece of truly good news, I think. That news is that as of right now, both the White House and the NRA have signaled that they are ready to discuss the regulation of that piece of equipment called the bump stock. I didn't know that vocabulary word, so maybe you don't either. The bump stock is an accessory that turns a semi-automatic rifle into a fully automatic, so that you can just pull the trigger and it just keeps firing, 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 firing. And it's a little addition that you put on to the semi-automatic that makes it automatic. The bump stock is what the shooter in Las Vegas used to shoot many, many shots in a very short amount of time. So the news, at least in my opinion, the news that the White House and the NRA are ready to see this deadly accessory regulated is a good piece of news. It's not going to save the whole world, but it's a good piece of news. It would certainly save lives and would have made a difference in the situation we just went through. So it's, it's hopeful. It's a significant step. So unless we're willing to accept as normal that we'll always be the country with the most per capita gun deaths in the world, we need movements of this type. Things, something has to be different from what we're doing right now. So movements of this type are healthy. There has to be some change. We can't just do nothing or say nothing and expect it will get better by itself. It's not going to get better if we do nothing. That's a fantasy. So there has to be some change, and regulating bump stocks is a start. I'm happy for that. But you know that overall the picture is not pretty for us. So there's all kinds of statistics, and you know there's always something you can say about those statistics, but I'll just tell you a couple things. According to USA Today, looking at the five years from 2010 to 2015, five years, the rate of gun, gun homicides in the United States is five times the rate of Canada. It's seven times the rate of Italy. It's 13 times the rate in France and Switzerland, and it is 27 times the rate of Spain, Germany, and Australia. 27 times the rate of gun homicides per capita. Now the case of Australia is one of the most fascinating, and I bet a lot of you might know this story. In 1996, there was a shooting spree in Australia in a city called Port Arthur 
by a single person that resulted in 35 people being killed. 1996. Following this tragic event, the Prime Minister of Australia, his name is John Howard, who is a pro-gun conservative. I assume he's still alive. He's a pro-gun conservative. After that shooting spree, pushed through an ambitious set of gun control reforms, even as a pro-gun conservative. And at that particular time, all automatic and semi-automatic weapons were banned, and they instituted background checks and waiting periods for gun purchases. They also created a buyback program for those who already owned automatic and semi-automatic weapons, and they bought back 650,000 weapons were turned in. Now, that may not seem like very many in the United States, but Australia is a smaller country, smaller population. And since that time, there has not been a mass shooting incident in Australia. There has not been one. So I don't want to say that we necessarily can do what they did. What I want to say is it is possible to do something. And other countries are doing it. And we are not at the moment. Not, not much. In Australia, the gun suicide rate went from 2.6 per 100,000 to 1.1. So it's about 60-70% reduction in gun suicides. So, is there a provable connection between these actions and these results? Well, I, this is a question for mathematicians and social scientists, and they don't all agree but what everyone agrees on is that there has not been a mass shooting in Australia since they took those moves. And that before that time, they had had 11 mass shootings in 10 years. So that part is true. Whether you see the cause and effect of exactly what they did, that's what happened. In Australia. By the way, the government of Australia has officially offered assistance to the government of the United States in dealing with this problem. They've put an offer on the table. This, I want to remind you once again, was all initiated by a conservative pro-gun prime minister of Australia. So there's a story for us. So I know that our country, I don't want to be naive and think that we're going to adopt that kind of program like Australia, especially not in the next few years. But life is unpredictable, so I'm not going to rule it out either. In our country, there is a fervent, almost religious <coughs> feeling about guns on the part of some of our citizens. And there's a gun lobby movement that is almost impossible to get on board with any program whatsoever. That's why this uh, bump stock thing is a nice development. That's a nice, because that, in a way, is a little bit of an icebreaker. 
It is not an outrageous infringement on the rights of Americans or anyone else, I would say, to restrict military weapons to use by the military. And that's sort of the implication of this change. All right. Another, you know, William Barber says we're going to have unlikely allies. We need to look for unlikely allies. I, this is going to may sound a little strange, but I think Bill O'Reilly said something very smart the other night. He's not a person that I ordinarily write fan mail to. But what he said was strangely true. I don't even know if he realizes what he said. He said of the Las Vegas shooting that killed 58 people and wounded 500 more, he said that this is the price of freedom. That's what he said. This is the price of freedom. Now that is a really interesting comment, and I think he's actually right in a certain kind of way. And the way I think he's right is that that kind of event is the price of a certain kind of freedom. It's the price we pay for a certain kind of freedom that is highly valued by many of our citizens. And that's this freedom for uh, individual citizens to purchase and own an unlimited supply of weapons and pretty much of an unlimited degree of severity, although automatic weapons are not uh, legal in our country by individuals but just a huge range of very, very dangerous military kinds of weapons and often without even a background check to purchase them. About 40%, I believe that's the right number of guns, are bought without a background check in the United States. So I actually think that Bill O'Reilly got that one right, that this is the cost of that particular kind of freedom, to have mass shootings Pretty often. For that particular freedom, I think we are paying the price of the highest gun death rate in the world, way beyond any other country. With a mass shooting every year or two, and be, be, uh, depending upon how you classify a mass shooting, there are different ways to count those statistics. But according to some ways of classifying, there's a mass shooting on the average of every day, if it's four or more people. So I think he really stated that trade-off pretty well. And it seems that in a way, we as a country, at least up to this point, are willing to make that particular trade-off. There's a deep sense of our American identity, at least for some of us, that's, I think, tied into the notion of the completely independent American. The, you know, the, the, we are a frontier consciousness country. That's our myth. That person pressing out into the frontier with, with a horse and some provisions and some guns, who is a completely independent agent. It doesn't answer to anyone. There is a kind of romance about that, I think, in our country. And we continue to think that that maybe is the most idealistic way to be an American. 
But if there's going to be a change in the problem of mass shootings and violence in America, there will have to be changes to that image because that's not the reality we live in anymore. We don't live in a reality where everyone can be absolutely independent of everyone else and do anything they want anytime because they're strong, as in Amy's story. We don't live in that frontier world anymore. We live in a different kind of culture. So there will have to be compromises. But I would say, and I'll bet you the Prime Minister of Australia might have said that there will still be lots of freedom to exercise, even if we make a few changes. If we have background checks to get a gun, there's still lots of freedom there. Huge amounts of freedom. If we say that a few weapons can't be used because they're really for military assault, there's still lots of freedom there. Huge, but there's some compromise. There's some compromise. I lived in the country when I was a kid, and I've lived a lot in crowded cities, too. You can't do the same thing in crowded cities that you can do out in the country. I remember when I was young and my uncle would be driving us down the road. He had actually had a Model A. You know, in the country, you can just turn off the road and take off across the field if you feel like it. And you don't need a turn signal either. There are no turns. People don't use turn signals out on those roads. They just go wherever they want to. It's, it's a kind of freedom. It feels there's something nice about that feeling. But you can't do that at the corner of University and War Memorial. There's a little thing at University and War Memorial called a traffic light. That's an urban thing. There, no, there were no traffic lights on my uncle's farms. You didn't come up to row 73 and wait for the light to change. You just go wherever you want to. And if you shoot a, if you see a rabbit and you got your rifle, you shoot the rabbit. If, you, if that's your inclination. Urban life doesn't work that way. That's a different culture. But it still can be done with a lot of freedom. A lot of freedom. And, but there will have to be some changes. After Sandy Hook, which involved the shooting of little kids. Little kids. After Sandy Hook, there was an effort to pass universal background checks. The numbers of almost all surveys show that universal background checks are supported by 90% or more of the American public. 90% or more of the American public, including over 90% of both Democrats and Republicans. Over 90% of Republicans support universal background checks and 74% of NRA members 
support background checks. That's three quarters of NRA members and over 90% of Republicans. And you, they could not get that bill through the Congress. It went down in the Senate 54 to 46. I don't think it was ever voted on in the House. When virtually there is a consensus in the country that we should do that. 90% is a consensus in the United States. That's, that's darn near every single person. Three quarters of the NRA members. And that could not pass through our country. And that is such a violation of the, of the ideals of democracy that something is so clearly the will of the people can't become a law. What a massive failure. One can only wonder what strange power could scare our legislators so profoundly that they would not pass something that 90% of the people believe could save the lives of school kids. Have some influence on that. That lack of response to something so strongly supported is like a canary in the coal mine for democracy because it means that democracy didn't work at all in that situation. That wasn't democracy. That was something else. So why is it so hard for us? Why are we so different from all the other developed countries who have done this much better than we have? And yet we're a country full of smart, intelligent, resourceful, compassionate, generous people. But we can't do this for some reason. And as I said, I think it is largely because we have this idea of being a frontier culture. A culture that conquered the wilderness through the action of hard riding and quick shooting cowboys. We were out in New Mexico a couple years ago, which has a lot of this frontier culture stuff all around, and we went into a place where it had all this artwork made of wrought iron. You could get all different kinds of patterns and sayings, and one of the popular ones is a wrought iron thing you can put over your gate, and it says, we don't call 911. That's what it says. So that's that frontier, you know, independence, self-sufficiency. We don't need, we don't need nine, you know, you know, if you're out far enough, there isn't any 911 to call anyway. It's that notion of the American hero. But times change and we have to change too. Especially in our urban areas, the independent actor settling issues with a gun is completely out of place. Completely out of place in an urban environment. I'm not saying it's a great idea in the country either, but I understand why people in the country see it differently. And it makes more sense in that setting. But what's happening on the streets of Chicago and other cities are individual people trying to settle their issues with a gun. A lot of them are kids. They're just kids. 
So I feel that part of the compromise that's necessary if we're going to make progress is to recognize this difference between urban needs and rural needs. I think those are two different environments that call for slightly different kinds of approaches. And I think that is one possible starting place to, for the dialogue to begin. A dialogue that is respectful of differences in the way people live and the different meanings of weapons in different settings. Rural life is more of a life of individual independence. And urban life is, by its nature, more cooperative. It's a life in closer quarters, where one has to give up some freedom for the good of the whole. Life is different in the country. And I understand, I think I understand at least a little bit, how people feel threatened that something that is a way of life for them is being threatened by a bunch of urban liberals or whoever they are. Because for those folks, that, that weapon, at least some of those weapons, make sense in, the, in that environment. That makes sense to me. I think we have to recognize those differences. Whenever people are packed together more in cities, there are always more rules for the coordination of their behavior. There are red lights and green lights. There are only certain places you can park. You know, when I grew up in the country, I, I, being concerned about where to park just didn't even exist. There is no worry about finding a parking place on your farm. You just don't even think about that. It's a different set of issues. A gun in a city, unless it belongs to a law enforcement officer or a sports person who keeps a gun for going hunting on the weekends or target practice, if it's not one of those, it's basically to kill people. That's what the gun's for. And it happens every day. There is no hunting in cities. People don't go hunting in cities just like they don't take the subway in the country. There's no subway in the country. It's a different culture. How could we incorporate these truths into our guidelines for gun use? I believe that all of us, with extremely rare exceptions, extremely rare exceptions, want our streets and gathering places to be safe from gunfire and murder. I don't know anybody who says they want that. Everybody wants it. No one wants another Las Vegas to happen. Nobody wants young lives to be cut off. Nobody wants parents and siblings and grandparents and husbands and wives to be heartbroken from the loss of their loved ones, even for the loss of their children. Nobody wants to turn on the TV and see these tragedies, or worse, live through one. The moves that we would need to make are not that onerous, Although I know that some people don't agree with that. 
and some of them are my friends, and I want to honor that. I know some people don't agree with that, but that's my best judgment on the matter, that background checks I don't think are outrageously onerous on anyone. I don't think that's a horrible destruction of someone's freedom. I don't think that it's onerous that some kinds of weapons are not suitable to be on our streets. I don't know. That seems like a good trade-off to me. I know that some people are not convinced that these things would make a difference. There are some arguments that these wouldn't actually help. And I cannot prove that they will. I can't prove that. But the evidence of other countries all over the world suggests that they would make a difference. That's, that seems to be the message that's coming through. The number crunchers in Australia, I read an article recently, that the number crunchers, mathematician-type folks in Australia, cannot absolutely prove that what they did caused the effect that happened by a mathematical certainty. But what we can say is that they don't have any more mass shootings. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. So that's not a proof but it's a game-changing and life-saving result. Even if there were no proof at all to ignore a position that is the majority position of 90% of the people and not do that, regardless of what proof there might be, that is, that is really an attack on the meaning of democracy. Uh, that ignoring the will of the people. Not a good idea, I don't think. So, here's where I'm at. It is not morally acceptable for us not to do anything. I do not believe it is morally acceptable for us to do nothing. We have to do something. We can't just count bodies and then have memorial services and then wait until the next one. I don't think that's a, any kind of a rational path. We have to try the best strategy we know. We think we are smart people. We're a special people. We're an exceptional people and in many ways that's true. How can it be that we have not figured out something that the rest of the civilized world has figured out? How can we be that smart? And we haven't figured that out. It doesn't make sense. We are smart enough to do this. We could do this. We even have some decent ideas what to do. So we have to keep trying. We cannot stop, we ha even if it's not very good prospects right now. We have to keep talking. We have to keep trying to have a respectful dialogue as much as we can. We need to stay strong and not give up. And contrary to some of our politicians, 
Now is exactly the right time to talk about this. Exactly the right time. Now is the time to say we're not willing to live this way. Not willing to do it. If now is not the time, when is the time? We can respect individual freedoms to a great measure and still cooperate together to protect our loved ones from being shot in the street or in their school or in a concert venue. We actually can do this. And the time to do it is right now.